Um, God, we praise you that you are um, a good God. We praise you um, that we've seen that throughout the book of Mark already as we've um, had a glimpse into your heart, as Jesus has done great things um, for people. We praise you that um, Jesus promises to deal with our biggest problem in sin. Um, we, we thank you for that, and we thank you that he can do that because of who he is. We pray, though, that this morning as we reflect on who Jesus is, that, that you would help us to, to focus and to think about this and to be challenged by this. We pray that regardless of what our weeks were like, that as we come before your word and hear your voice, that you would challenge and change us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the um, shows that we've been watching in our house is a show on Netflix called uh, Penn and Teller Fool Us. I don't know if you know who Penn and Teller are. Uh, they're magicians, basically. And this show is one where people come up and they do magic to try and fool Penn and Teller. It's the first time in my life, really, that I've actually watched as much magic as I have. We've watched nearly a full season. And, and so what happens is people come up on stage, they do their magic trick, and then Penn and Teller go, okay, did you fool us or, you know, didn't you fool us? Most of the time, Penn goes, uh, Penn says something like, look, I don't want to give it away, but if I mention this guy's name, will it show you who, you know, that I know how you did the trick? And they go, yeah, you didn't fool us, and they move on. But, but sometimes, people are good enough to actually fool Penn and Teller. Sometimes they are. Now, I've watched a lot of this season. In fact, I think we've watched season two maybe nearly twice. Uh, I've watched more magic than I ever have in my life. And there's something that I've started to realize about magic. Um, it, it's kind of the first or, or maybe the only thing in the world where your one job is to lie to people. Right? Like that, that is what magic is. It's, it's you are lying to people and then you're really good if you're a really good liar. That's what magic is. If you're a good liar, people love you. If you're not, well then, you know, you're bad at magic. Right? Your job is to convince people that something is real that isn't actually real. That's your job. And I think it's unique in that way. It's unique where their job is to fool people, and we actually like being fooled. That's the thing about magic. If you know how the trick works, it's not good. So, so it's unique in that way. It's one of the only areas in life where not only is the job to fool, but we like being fooled. And it is unique there, right? Because in all of life, we don't actually like being fooled. In fact, most areas in life, we don't want to be the fool. Whether that's in our jobs, in our homes, wherever it is, we don't want to play the fool. Now, now, we gather here together in church, and, and one of those areas, I think, where we don't want to be fooled is especially when it comes to God, right? Like, we don't want to be lied to when it comes to who God is. These are big questions we're talking about, like, who is God, and where do I fit in with this world? That is big stuff we're talking about. We don't want to be fooled. We don't want to be lied to in that space. Now, as we get into Mark today, what we're going to ask, the question we're going to see is, as Jesus does this big stuff that he does... Right? And he does some big stuff. I mean, we see it in that first bit there. Is Jesus just a great magician? Right? That's the question we want to ask this morning. Is Jesus just a great magician? Is he just a, an amazing liar? And he has fooled people throughout centuries. Is that who he is? And if he's not a magician, if he's not a liar, how is it that he did the stuff that he did? And what does that mean for us? Because Jesus did big stuff. If he's not a magician, how did he do the stuff that he did? Well, if you have your Bibles there uh, today, we pick it up uh, in Mark chapter 3. Um, we find this story begin in verse 7. And what we see from this first passage is kind of the big stuff that Jesus is doing. Mark records this. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake, and a large crowd from Galilee followed. When they heard about all he was doing, many people came to him from Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, and the regions across the Jordan and around Tyre and Sidon. 
Because of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him to keep the people from crowding him. For he had healed many, so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. Whenever the impure spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. But he gave them strict orders not to tell others about him. Is Jesus just a good magician? Well, what do we see here? We, we start to see the big things that Jesus is doing. And he's healing people. I mean, we've already seen this in Mark, haven't we? I mean, we've seen he heals the paralyzed man. This guy who couldn't walk now walks. He heals the leper. Uh, this person who was isolated and had these skin diseases that crippled them now is healed of that and is better. The man with the shriveled hand last week we saw has a better hand. Jesus has been healing people along the way. He's been doing big things. And people hear about this. And they gather around, we see in verse 8, they hear about it, and then they gather around pretty much from everywhere, which is what would happen today, right? Like if today we heard that someone was healing people and it was real, of course we'd all go and see that, right? Whether you're from Logan or Gold Coast or Sunny Coast, I mean, we'd be traveling from further than that anyway, Harvey Bay, you know, places around the place. We'd be coming to see this guy who can heal, not just to see what his deal is, but especially if we have ailments and diseases, if he can heal us. That's what's happening with Jesus. He goes by the lake, and all of these people gather around. And verse 10 we see, they're gathering around, and Jesus is doing what? He's healing them. Jesus is healing them. He's making people who have diseases and ailments, things that cripple them, he is making them better. Now, if we saw that today, maybe we'd say, what an amazing magic trick. Right? Like if, if you watch someone who was paralyzed or who had a crippled hand and someone made that hand better, what's your first thought? Maybe it is. What an amazing magic trick. But, but the problem with that is magic isn't actually making something, doing something real. Right? That's the problem with that. We, we know that about magic. The whole job is to try and make you believe something that isn't actually real. Right? I'm going to pull a rabbit out of thin air. We know, hopefully, the rabbit doesn't come out of thin air. The job is to trick you, to make you believe something that's happening is real that isn't actually real. But Jesus isn't doing that. He's not doing that. He's not making us believe something that isn't real. He's actually making sick people better. Making people with real diseases that everyone knew about, and he's making them better. Right? The paralyzed man wasn't a plant that Jesus had you know, thought about beforehand said to this guy, hey, you lie on a mat and make people think that you're paralyzed. And then when he gets lowered down, it's like, boom, he's healed, right? How good was that? The guy with the leper just didn't have flour on his hand, and it was some sort of sweet magic trick. That's not what happened here. Jesus made sick people better, and the crowds knew about this. Don't you love that, that this thing that's happening here isn't happening in a small building where only a couple of people know about it? Crowds are gathered around from everywhere and they see that Jesus is doing this. So, if Jesus isn't a magician, if he's not just a great liar, how is he doing this stuff? That question still remains. How is Jesus doing the things that he's doing? Well, as we read in kind of verse 10, it could actually be from the power of demons. Because in verse 10, uh, we see something weird happen. Uh, verse 10, sorry, he heals people. Then verse 11, demons come by, they fall at his feet, and they say, you are the son of God. That's weird, right? It doesn't happen that much these days. I've never seen it. That's weird. Add to that then that Jesus tells them to be quiet. That's a little bit odd as well. 
Why is Jesus telling them to be quiet in this space? I mean, is it because he's doing this stuff from the power of demons? Is that why? And he doesn't want people to know that he's doing it from the power of demons? I mean, I actually think that he's telling them to be quiet because he knows ultimately he'll be killed for the claims that he has of being God. But it still is a bit vague here. And we still do have to answer the question, how is Jesus doing the big stuff that he's doing? Because he is doing big stuff. He's healing people. He's making sick people better. How is he doing this? Well, it could be from demons. But if it is from demons, it makes verse 13 and 14 a little bit weird. So as we read the, uh, verse 13, Jesus goes up to a mountainside and does some big stuff again because he calls people and they come. Verse 14, then he makes the 12, he appoints the 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. And verse 15, the key verse there, and to have authority to drive out demons. So catch this, Jesus' big stuff that he's doing isn't simply himself healing people driving demons out, telling them to be quiet, but now he makes a people that have that authority as well. That's not just Jesus, now his people are driving out demons as well from his authority. That's a big deal. Um, I imagine it, it, coming, it, it coming across like this. Uh, a few years ago, there was a movie that was released, arguably the greatest movie of all time, called Space Jam. I don't know if you saw it, uh, but picture this. Disney, I think it's Disney, Looney Tunes teaming up with the NBA, right? The greatest movie of all time. And Space Jam was released. Now, if you remember Space Jam, uh, classic, Bugs Bunny and that uh, get challenged by some aliens, I think, in this basketball match. Now, two, let's go to that next picture. Tell me that this picture is not, tell me that that movie does not look like the greatest movie of all time. I mean, that is, just go home and watch it. This, do yourself a favor in that space. But what happens is these aliens uh, who come down and, you know, challenge Bugs Bunny and that to a basketball match, they go and basically they go and steal the NBA players, the best players of the time. They go and steal their abilities, right? I know, right? What a storyline. They go and steal their abilities, and then these aliens all of a sudden have the basketball players' abilities. Now, I will spoil the movie because you should have seen it already, and it doesn't matter, it's still a great movie. Bugs Bunny end up getting Michael Jordan and they win. But it's this kind of picture, right, where these aliens get the ability from someone else. Now we can move on from that slide because it's not going to help us in the rest of the talk. But, well, it might. Um, but, but what we see, these aliens get this ability from the NBA players, right? They kind of steal their ability and all of a sudden they become good. Now look, this isn't exactly what's going on here. Right, I know it's a cartoon, I know it's a little bit of a laugh. But what is going on is still kind of on a pretty massive level here. It is actually a big deal. We don't see this all the time. Jesus is transferring his authority and his ability to the, uh, to, I was going to say to the aliens, <laughs> to his disciples. He's transferring his ability to, to his disciples. Now look, it's not like the movie where he loses his ability or where he gives it to them and he doesn't have it. No, he's giving them his authority to cast demons out. It's a big deal. Right? So we start to see the big things that Jesus is doing. Not only is he healing people, but now his people are casting demons out. So how is Jesus doing all this? That question still remains for us. How is Jesus doing what he's doing? Because he is doing big things. Is it from the power of demons? Well, it could be, but it seems weird that he'd be doing it from the power of demons. But we'll get to this in a moment. And if it's not from the power of demons, how is he doing the stuff that he's doing? I mean, that's actually the question that we have to answer. How does Jesus do the big things that Jesus does? 
It, it, we have to answer that. We have to come to a conclusion with how Jesus does the big things that Jesus do, that, that he does. Now, as we move into the next passage, what we're going to see is that there's two groups of people have a crack at answering this question. Two groups of people have a, have a crack at answering how Jesus does the things that he does. And we see, first of all, it's, it's his family, and then second of all, it's the religious people. All right, so let's have a look at that. How is Jesus doing it? Well, verse 20, what does his family say? Jesus entered the house, and again a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he is out of his mind. Jesus' family think that he is a nut job. Are you catching how big that is? His own family, who, who grew up with him and knows how he acts, the, those closest to him, think that he's crazy. They think that he's out of his mind. I mean, I don't know what, if, if there's drama in your household at the moment. Jesus had it as well. His family think he's out of his mind. Jesus' family think he's crazy, right? Family's meant to support you. Blood is apparently thicker than water. That's what's meant to happen. But Jesus' family just think he's crazy. Why do they think he's crazy? Why do they think he's out of his mind? Well, because well, they know they have to come up with an answer to why Jesus does the big things that he does. They've heard about the things that he's been doing. They've heard about his healing, his teaching, the crowds gathered around, and they think that he's crazy. See, the thing is with Jesus, he doesn't really leave us the option to think that he's just a good teacher. Jesus doesn't give us that option. His family think that he's crazy because they have to come up with a, a conclusion to why Jesus does the thing that he does. They think he's out of his mind. Now, now we'll get to this in a little bit of, of whether that's a good place to sit on and what, how we, what we have to do to come to that conclusion. But the first group of people try and answer this, just say, he's, he's nuts. He doesn't, he doesn't understand what he's doing. He's crazy. What do the religious people say? Well, well we've got a hope for these guys, right? They're the, they're the kind of the the leaders who've been at church their whole lives, you know, the leaders of the day. If you've got a spiritual question, you go to these guys. So what are the religious leaders going to say? How is Jesus doing this stuff? Well, well, let's have a look. The family say he's out of his mind. Verse 22. And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, he is possessed by Beelzebub. By the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. So the religious leaders say that he's doing it from the power of demons. That's their go-to that he's doing this from the power of demons. They're saying Jesus is demonic. Why are they saying this? Well, I mean, they've got to come up with a conclusion, don't they? They've got to figure out a way how Jesus is doing the things that he's doing. Now, now notice here, Jesus, I mean, the, the religious leaders, they aren't saying that the big things Jesus did didn't happen. Notice that? The religious leaders, so Jesus' enemies, who we see in verse 6 of chapter 3, are planning to kill him, so they're his enemies. They don't try and say that the big things Jesus does didn't actually happen. In fact, by them saying that he's doing it from the power of demons, they're acknowledging that this stuff really happened. But they're trying to discredit Jesus. They're trying to discredit him. They, they don't want people to follow him. They don't want people to know how he's doing this or why he's doing it. So they say that he's doing it from the power of demons. Because they know, as we know, if a leader has Satan in his back pocket, that's not someone we really want to follow. I've watched enough Exorcist movie trailers, I haven't watched the movies, to know that I don't want to follow someone like that. 
And the religious leaders know that as well. They want to discredit Jesus. They don't want people following him. So how is Jesus going to respond to this? Because being told you have a demon, that's pretty offensive. I mean, even today we'd admit that. If you're driving along, cut someone off, you know, you pull at the lights, they wind down their window, they start yelling at you and call you a demon. I think that's offensive. <laughs> I think we'd, we'd claim that. Jesus is being called a demon, basically saying he's doing this from the power of demons. So how does Jesus respond? Well, well, basically, we see this in the rest of the passage here. He responds in two ways. The first way he responds is by saying, your logic actually is just bad. And then secondly, I'm not doing this from the power of demons, but from the power of God. So let's see that first thing. Let's pick it up in verse 23. Jesus called them over, began to speak in parables, and then he said this, How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. The first thing Jesus responds with is the fact that actually their logic just doesn't work. Because part of the big things that Jesus was doing wasn't simply healing people. He was casting out demons. He's telling them to shut up. And then... And then his people cast out demons as well. And Jesus is saying, your logic just doesn't work because if a kingdom's divided against a kingdom, it just, it's not going to end up. It's not going to work. It's not going to stand. We understand this. Even today we understand this. Whether it's a workplace or a country or even in sport, we understand that if a team or a kingdom is divided, it's just not going to work. So last night the English Premier League um, kicked off. Actually, it was yesterday morning. Um, and Man City won overnight, just in case you were wondering. And uh, so Man City in the off-season spent £216 million or something like that on players. I mean, you want to talk about crazy. That's, that is crazy. That's insane how we let that happen in our world, but it happens. Anyway, and it's good. I mean, I support them, so that's fine. Um, but last night they played this team called Brighton, and they won. Now, um, if the, the whistle gets blown to, to start the game, and then at the start, the teams just decide, Man City decides, actually, you know what, we're actually going to, half of us are going to go the other way. We're going to play against ourselves. Right? Even when they're versing Brighton, a team that most of us have never heard of, we know that if they decided to do that, they would actually lose. Because right? that doesn't work. You, a, a kingdom can't be divided. A team can't be divided against itself. It's like if Australia went to war and yet all of our states were at war with each other. If Queensland actually got into a battle with New South Wales and we were in a war with another country, it's not going to work for us, right? Because we understand if a kingdom's divided against a kingdom, it just, it just doesn't work. That's what Jesus says. He says if, if Satan's divided against himself, that doesn't make sense. The logic actually, is actually flawed. The, the logic doesn't work. Because Jesus, his big things that he's doing, it's not just healing people, it's casting demons out. And then his disciples have the authority to cast demons out as well. So, so that's the first thing he replies with. Your logic doesn't make sense. And then the second thing, which is bigger than the first, is actually, I'm not doing this from the power of demons, that doesn't make sense, but rather since what I'm doing, and, and we see that with what he says, I'm doing it from the power of God. And we see this from verse 27. He says this, In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house without first tying him up. Then he can plunder the strong man's house. Truly I tell you, people can be forgiven all their sins and every slander they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They are guilty of an eternal sin. Jesus responds with the fact that he is not doing this from the power of Satan. Actually, what Jesus is going to do is bind Satan. That's the strong man here. 
He's going to bind Satan. And how is Jesus going to do that? Well, he's going to do that because he's God. This is not the first time we've seen a glimpse of this. Jesus has said this explicitly already, and he will continue to say this and ultimately die for claiming to be God. Jesus is going to bind up Satan. That's what he's come to do. He's not doing it from the power of Satan. He's doing it from the power of God, and he will bind up Satan. Now, we see this along the way as he casts demons out, but ultimately we see it again at the cross. We're told at the cross, Jesus disarmed the spiritual authorities, disarmed Satan and demons, which is good for God's people as we think about this. Right? I mean, we don't need to be afraid as we think about exorcist movies and demons and stuff like that. Jesus has bound Satan like a dog on a leash. So, so he's saying, I'm not doing this from the power of Satan. I'm doing this from the power of God, which then creates a problem for the religious leaders who have claimed that Jesus has a demon. So Jesus addresses that as well. And basically he says, because of what you've said, I tell you, um, anyone can be forgiven of anything, but then verse 29, whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They're guilty of an eternal sin. Now I know we have to stop here because we Christians talk a lot of the time how we can be forgiven of anything, anything we've done. Yet it seems like what Jesus is doing here is saying that there is an unforgivable sin. There is something that we can't be forgiven of. So how do we understand this? What's Jesus doing here? Well, the reality is the religious leaders defied who Jesus was. Complete defiance of who Jesus was. And whether Jesus is saying this as a a warning to them that they need to sort themselves out, or he's saying this because he knows the future of their hearts and that they will never turn to Jesus, it doesn't really matter because complete defiance of Jesus is actually the unforgivable sin. Right? Like we can be forgiven of anything, but if ultimately we defy Jesus before we die, if we don't turn to Jesus, we won't be forgiven. That's the reality of what's going on. Because throughout the Bible, we do actually see that people can be forgiven of anything. Anything. If we turn to Jesus in response to what he's done, we can be forgiven. Right? That's the picture we get through the Bible. It doesn't matter how dark your past is. It doesn't matter if you have been kind of ignoring Jesus for a little while or defying him for some amount of time. If we turn to him in recognition of who he is, we can be forgiven. Now, now throughout the Bible, we get examples of this. So the thief on the cross lived his life, you could say, in complete defiance of Jesus, of the kingship of God. And yet at the cross, he said to Jesus, as he was being killed for what he has done, said to Jesus, remember me in paradise. Jesus says, I will, and he receives forgiveness. The best example, I think, is actually of Paul, who was a religious leader. In fact, he was a religious leader, I'm pretty sure, from Jerusalem. He may have been here with these guys, but even if he wasn't, he agreed with them. Paul went on to kill Christians, sat there as Stephen was being stoned to death, encouraging people to throw harder and be better at what they're doing, went to stop the movement of Christianity and Jesus captured his heart. He turned to Jesus and he was forgiven. We can be forgiven of anything, but we have to turn to Jesus. In light of who he is, we have to come to him, repent. You know, that was what Jesus said in that early on, repent and believe. Turn to Jesus and believe in him. We can be forgiven of anything, but if we're going to completely defy Jesus our whole lives, well, that's the unforgivable sin. If we look at Jesus and go, I don't think you are who you said you were, that's the unforgivable sin. We're not going to receive forgiveness if we don't call Jesus Lord. 
So Jesus responds to their claim that he has a demon with actually, you know, that logic doesn't make sense. But also, I'm not doing this from the power of demons. I'm doing this from the power of God. Now, we see that a little bit more um, as the passage finishes. Because his family are back. They say to him, you know, they try and call him. And Jesus says, who are my family? It's those in verse 35 who do the will of God. Those who do the will of God are Jesus' family. What is the will of God? Well, I think it's actually to see Jesus for who he is to believe in Jesus, to call him Lord, and to live for him. Because Jesus ultimately, perfectly did the will of God. So, so here it is. Jesus responds to them. He says, I'm not doing this from the power of demons. I'm doing this from the power of God. Now, as we see this here this morning, we do have to ask the question, what are we going to do with this? Because at, along the way, everyone along the way that saw Jesus made a decision. They, they had to figure out how or what they did with Jesus. And that's true for us. As we read this, we have to figure out what we are going to do with Jesus. What we're going to do with his message and with the, uh, these eyewitness accounts. We've got to figure out what we are going to do with Jesus. And as we read this, the reality is we have four options. The four options are we can either call Jesus a liar, a lunatic, legend, or Lord. There are four options. So we can call Jesus a liar. We can say that he was just a really good magician. That he was the greatest magician of all time who fooled more people than any other magician will ever fool. He was just a great liar. And when he was claiming to be God, he was lying through his teeth. But if we're going to call Jesus a liar, we have to do something with what Jesus did. Not just his healings and the fact that crowds saw it, the fact that his enemies acknowledged it. Ultimately, we have to do something with the fact that Jesus died and then rose again. Because if he's a liar, the resurrection actually kind of proves that he wasn't. But we can call him a liar. That's our first option. Or we can call him a lunatic. We can say he's out of his mind. I mean, his family did that in this passage. We can do that as well. And just say, you know what? When Jesus was saying and doing big things, he was doing that because he just didn't have a sense of reality. He was crazy. He was out of his mind. But again, if we're going to do that, we have to do something with the fact that Jesus backed up what he did. Jesus didn't just make big statements like I'm the only way to God. That's a big statement. If we heard it say, maybe even say that's an insane statement, right? That is a massive statement. But if Jesus healed people, but more than that, if he died and then rose again, he's backing up his big statements. So we can call him a lunatic, but we're going to have to do something with that. Or we can say he's a legend. Not the way we'd use that today. We can say that he's a myth, right? A myth. It was completely made up. And this stuff about Jesus doesn't really matter because the whole thing was just fabricated to serve someone's agenda. We, we can say that he's a legend, but if we're going to say that he's a legend, we're going to have to do something with the fact that ancient historians say that it took two generations to form legend. And yet we have, within months, records of eyewitness accounts, names of people who saw Jesus. So if we want to call him a legend, we're going to have to do something with that. Or the final option is we can call him Lord. We can say in light of who he is, in light of who he said he was, and in light of what he did, we can call him Lord. But if we're going to call him Lord, we can't just call him Lord of forgiveness or Lord of our Sundays. But if we're going to call him Lord, we're actually acknowledging that he has the authority over my whole life. Jesus is Lord of all or nothing at all. So there are our options. It's the only way we can deal with this. Liar, lunatic, legend, or Lord. 
Who do you say Jesus is? Who is he to you? We have to do something with what he did. What is he to you? A guy called C.S. Lewis who wrote the Narnia series um, and a book called Mere Christianity says it like this. He says, People often say about him, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us, and he did not intend to. Our four options are that Jesus is either a liar, a lunatic, legend, or Lord. Great moral teacher isn't on the table. Just another religious guy, that's not on the table. Jesus didn't leave that on the table for us. There are four options, and we've got to figure out what we're doing with this. We can dismiss Jesus, say that he's a liar, a lunatic, or a legend. But if we're going to dismiss Jesus, we have to do something with the evidence, and that's for you to figure out what you're going to do with that, how you're going to get past that. But if we're going to call him Lord, we have to submit to him as Lord, the Lord of all, not just the Lord of forgiveness, not just the Lord of the Sabbath and our days off, as we saw last week, but the Lord of all. Jesus is either Lord of all or he's nothing at all. He's Lord of our whole lives or nothing, right? That's the options for us. He's Lord of our finances. He's Lord of our Sundays. He's Lord of our weeks. He's Lord of our homes. He's Lord of our dreams. He's Lord of our aspirations. He's Lord of how we deal with people. He's Lord of our time. He's the Lord who we submit to in light of who he is or he's nothing at all. So the challenge for us is not just to say, yeah, I think he's Lord, but actually to submit to him as Lord. That's the challenge for us. Because as we look through this passage, I mean, notice the demons, they knew that Jesus was Lord. He said that he was the Son of God and fell before his feet. But they're not the people of God. Why not? Because they didn't submit to him as Lord. They wanted to live their lives their own way. So, so the challenge for us is if we're going to claim that Jesus is Lord, we have to recognize he has control, authority of my whole life and submit to him as Lord. Let's pray. God, as we come to you now, we recognize that you are Lord and we celebrate that. Because as, as we've seen throughout Mark, you're not a Lord who wants to restrict us. You're not a Lord that wants to cripple us or rob us of joy. You are good. And the things that you call us to do, they are good things. And so, God, we pray that we would actually think about what we're going to do with you. We pray that we would, we would do that this morning. And we pray that for some of us, as we are wrestling with this, that we would see that we can't just see Jesus as this great moral teacher, but that we would recognize his, his authority, his teaching, his power, the things that he did, and that you'd help us figure out what we're going to do with this. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.